0: If you will take your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Today we are we will observe the Lord's Supper here shortly. But as we look at the Lord's Supper, we also remember that the Lord's Supper comes through the fact that there was good news. There was the gospel that came to us. That is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ all memorialized as we consider the elements of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ that is through which our salvation comes. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There is no remission or forgiveness of sin. We know that and Christ shed his perfect innocent blood for us so that we may have salvation we go on today sharing that good news, which we call the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. So we preach and they believe. I've entitled this really the gospel reality, but we preach and they believe. And that is our calling as I have preached through in prior months the missional disciple In Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to make disciples. As we look at this passage of scripture today, I'm just going to read the verses as I come to them in my points to help uh, with our time consideration today. So we may have ample time to observe the Lord's Supper. Verses 1 and 2 I call the process. This is the process by which the gospel reality starts. Read along in your copy of God's Word. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. Which also you received and in which you stand. By which... Also, you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So as we start this, we see the process of how the gospel is laid out. First off, Paul, who has already received it, who has also stood in it, who is also uh, saved by it, he is declaring it. He is declaring the gospel. We have the Declaration of Independence. It is an act of declaring independence. And it's written down on a sheet of paper. Our gospel is written down right here. This is our declaration of dependence, if you will. That we depend upon Christ. And we declare that other people need to come to a dependence on Christ. And we declare that. We declare that He is the only way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man shall come to the Father except by me. And if you want to be free, you can be set free and be set free indeed, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way that you shall receive freedom of soul and spirit than through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is what we declare. We declare it. Well, how do we declare it? Like I said, our Declaration of Independence for our nation is handwritten. We've got many copies now. They can copy it on a copy Uh, copying machine but it is originally handwritten it is a, a document for us today we preach the gospel that is how it has come to you and i we can read the gospel and it is declared the good news of the father in the life death and resurrection of jesus christ in the word of god but paul says that i have declared this to you the gospel which i preach to you that is to audibly put forth a message. We are to preach the gospel. That does not mean that you've got to get up here and have points and slides such as I have. But you are to herald the good news. Declare. Herald it. Make known the good news of Jesus Christ. These are the first two steps in the process of the gospel reality. We declare it. We preach it. And this is where our work, our service unto the Lord ends. We can't make someone receive it. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and lives to soften that that hard heart. It is God's work to remove that heart of stone and to place into them a heart of flesh. But we are to declare and we are to preach and herald. And then what they do with it, I don't know. But they're going to have to make a decision on who Jesus is in their life. In Romans chapter 10, if you flip back over a little bit. Romans chapter 10, uh, I always quote verses 9 and 10, but... Romans chapter 10, verse 8, says this. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. We preach the gospel to you. And when I preach the gospel to you week in and week out, it's getting to you. It's getting into your mouth. It is what I proclaim to you. But yet there's something you've got to do with it. If you want to be saved, if you want to stand in it, and if you want to be saved in it, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, this is Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all and is rich to all who call upon him. That means to receive him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you receive him, receive him. But don't just receive in him, stand in him. Know what it is that you believe. You're going to fall through and waver. I've heard it said, uh, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And it's the truth. you got to stand for something. You need to stand for Jesus or you're going to fall for every temptation and, and the devil puts out there for you. Believe upon Christ. Receive Him. Stand in Him. And that reveals the fact that you have been saved by Him. You have been saved. And that's what Paul is writing here. He says, I, I preach it. You've received it, you stand in it, by which you're also saved. And if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain, don't believe in vain. Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast. There is first delivery. Paul says this is, this is so important. I think about people that may be postal carriers or UPS or FedEx or whatever it may be. And they're going to get to their locations. It's of first importance. you got to select it when you're ordering shipments, right? You can order it regular. You can order it ground. You can order it two day, three day, one day, whatever it may be. But you're going to pay for it, right? Well, this is what Paul's done. He's paid for the fact that he's going to, he's going to give to you of first importance. First of all, that which I also receive. I deliver this to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We're going to stop right there. This is first. First of all, Christ died for our sins. Paul also in Galatians 1-4 expresses a central tenet that Jesus gave Himself for our sins. Christ died for our sins to remove that sin debt from our lives. It's what Christ has done for us. The victory that is seen is is the victory over death, hell, and the grave, conquering the effects of sin. For the wages of sin is death. And Christ died so that our sins can be removed. People say, Christ died for me. Yes, to an extent. Yes, He did. But moreover, He died so your sins would not be bound to you. He died, first of all, It says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. This is the the confirmation that Jesus was dead. They would not have put Jesus in a tomb if he was swooned, if he was napping, if he was sort of asleep, kind of dead. No, he was dead. And the confirmation was because the Romans, they knew how to kill folks, man. They were good at it. I mean, that's a bad way of phrasing it. But they're professional killers. They knew Jesus was dead. They would not have allowed him to come down off that cross so quickly as they did had he had not been dead. They would have broken the bones in his legs if, his, if he were not dead at the time when they pronounced it. They did that to the other two criminals. Because they, they were not dead. But Jesus died on the cross. And there were no bones broken. That's prophetic. There were no bones broken about Christ's body when he died for us. Yet they knew He was dead. So the confirmation here, this is according to Scripture. That means going back to the prophetic statements of the Old Testament. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then verse 5 on gives us the confirmation of that but I'm going to stop right here with verse 4. The appearances of Christ established the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to talk about all the folks that saw Him. All the that needed to be done for righteousness' sake. He said, I have to be baptized for righteousness' sake. He had to be crucified. Because it said that, uh, if you, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. He knew what kind of lifting up he meant. He meant on the cross to die for our sins. And anyone who will look to that cross, just as in the Old Testament, they looked to that staff that had the snake on it. Anyone who looked to that cross in belief, that the healing comes from Him, they shall be saved. Those folks in the Old Testament, they looked on that staff with the snake that was wrapped on it. They looked at it. There were some that might have even looked at it, but they didn't look at it believing. But you had to look to it believing. This is how it comes. This is what Jesus said. This is what God said. Believe it and be saved. Today, that is the cry. That is how you participate in the Lord's Supper. You are a professed, Confessed, believing, living follower of Jesus Christ. That's how you partake of the Lord's Supper. Don't partake unworthily. That means like you just think you are. Be assured of your salvation. Know who your Lord is. Confess Him as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised His Son from the dead. And you shall be saved. That's how. That is the prerequisite of... Of participating and taking of the Lord's Supper. It doesn't matter if you walk to the front. If I'm shaking your hand and everybody else has to. What matters is, is Jesus shaking and changed your heart. That's what matters. That's what matters. Let's look there next. He said at first importance. But listen, there's, there's something we've got to understand about this gospel. This gospel has got to be central to us. And there's three mistakes that we, that we have about gospel centrality. About how the gospel should be central to our lives. The number one mistake is the gospel is something that happened merely in my past. It's something that happened merely in my past. It was the beginning of my Christian life. But I accepted the gospel and now I'm moving on to deeper things. Listen, that's a problem. The gospel is not just something in your past. The first problem with that is this misses the present holistic significance of the gospel that word holistic is not with the w but with the h the holiness of the gospel in our lives it's the holy significance of the gospel in our present lives number two problem is it misses the future promises and security of the gospel it misses these things the gospel presently compels us all to share the goodness of christ and it encourages the believer the gospel in the future assures us That this life is not all there is. Christ is returning, and that is vital within the gospel. One no longer needs to fear death as the punishment for his or her past sins. That's a mistake we make. The gospel, the first mistake, the gospel is something that happened merely in my past. The second mistake is this in gospel centrality the gospel is something I need only occasionally in the present. Our present is secure. A gospel is something I only need occasionally. Problem number one with this, this misses the past doneness of the gospel that assures the security of one's future. And problem number two, it also ignores the constant ongoing need for grace in every dimension of one's life. We need grace. We find that in the good news of Jesus Christ. We need that every day of our life. One could stand firm and hold fast because ultimately God is holding fast to him or her. And thirdly, the third mistake about gospel centrality is the gospel is primarily about what is going to happen in the future. About what is going to happen in the future. And the problem with this is this makes the relationship with God primarily transactual. I believe the gospel out of fear or escape or desire for pleasure. It's just a transaction. I just don't want to go to hell, so therefore I want to be saved. That's not the reason why you receive the gospel. You receive the gospel because you're a sinner and lost, and you need saving. The eternal destination change is just the benefit of it. But the reason why we receive Christ is because to come to this realization. I am a sinner, and I have offended a holy God. And I need to be in right relationship with God. That's more important. A benefit. Yes, I'm going to get to go to heaven. I'm going to have a mansion up in glory. He's going to prepare a place for me. If it were not so, he would not have told me so. But he's going to return back to me at some point in time. I don't know when that's going to be. But I want to tell you, God did not save us just to go on to heaven. He saved us for holiness sake, for righteousness sake, for his kingdom's expansion, to make disciples of all nations. That's the reason why he saved us. We need this gospel every single day. We need it every single day. And it can't just be transactual. The only reason why I got saved is so I didn't go to hell. Well, you probably didn't get saved. You didn't get saved. Because then you're going to go out and do all the same different kind of stuff. You just think you've got somewhere else you're going along the path that you choose everything in between. There's no submission to a lordship in that. You submit to the Lord. You live your life daily in the grace and faith of what He's given you. And then you get to reap the benefit of the fact that you've confessed Him as Lord and you're living in the graces that He's given you. And you go on to heaven. It's a daily dying of self as some one particular scripture gives us understanding. Pick up my cross daily and follow him. The problem number two is this. It misses the significance and fullness of the gospel. It misses the present significance and fullness of the gospel. You know, we, we don't have to create or maintain a future for ourselves because Christ has already done all the work. Let me say that again. We don't have to work to create or maintain a future for ourselves because Christ has already done all the work. My future is secure. But we can't we can't forget the past. We cannot forget uh, or not think about the gospel in our presence, in our present time, and we cannot just think that it's something for the future. The gospel is something for every day, every moment of our lives. We need to be reminded of it. We need to live in it. Uh, praise god in it and share it it's what we need to do those are three mistakes we commonly make about gospel centrality now pushing on to verse four through nine in verses four through nine uh just catching the ladder in there it says in that he was buried Here we go. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. And some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, uh, whom... Who am not worthy to be called an apostle? Because I persecuted the church of God. Okay, so let's stop there for just a moment. The viewership is up, is what I titled this part. When we think about that, we think about programming and all these different things. If you, you think something's good, it's going to be seen by a lot of folks, right? People are going to be talking about it. Oh, the viewership is up on this on this sitcom, on this show. So therefore, let's keep it for another season. I want to tell you something. We can keep Jesus for another season because He's been seen alive by many different people. You can't make this up. Five hundred people seeing Him. Five hundred people. Who is Cephas? Let's look through. Let's walk through this very quickly. There in the uh, verse five, it says He was seen by Cephas. Who is that? Peter. That's right. It's Peter. So He is seen by Peter. And, of course, Peter had denied Jesus, so Jesus made the effort to go back to him and tell him, Hey, man, it's all right. It's all good. I forgive you. Go out and feed my sheep. Go out and take care of them, okay? And and so, uh, in the fact that Peter denied it three times, Jesus tells him three times, Go out and feed his sheep. And Peter understands this is him telling me it's all good. It's time for me to get after it. It's time for me to get after what the Lord's called me to do. So he appears to Peter, to Cephas. He also appears to the twelve. Those, this is after they've already selected the new um, disciple to replace Judas, so he appears to all of them. And it says, uh, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. You can't make that up, okay? 500 folks, a lot of people, especially at that time. You know, today, that's it's not a whole lot, really. But back then, there's a whole lot of folks to be gathered up to see Jesus at one time after he has risen from the grave and it says, of whom the greater part remained to the present. So if you got any questions, if you want to debate with me, I can give you a list of names. You know, here's a, here it is. Here's a list of names of folks who have seen Jesus alive after he was dead. You can go talk to them if you doubt me. It's proof, it's truth, it's real. And so this is the risen Christ. This is the confirmation of his resurrection. The confirmation that he was dead was he was put in a tomb. The confirmation that he had risen is the fact that he is seen by all these folks. He was seen by all these folks. And he says, but some have fallen asleep. He said, you know, there's 500 of them. You know, some of them have, have passed away. They were older in age at that time. They passed away, but there's still a whole bunch of them out and out and about. Go look for them. You can find them. I can give you a list of names. I know many of them. All right. And then he says, uh, and after that, he was seen by James. Who is James? That's his brother, who, if you remember right, he and the rest of his family went down to a house while Jesus was teaching and he and said, hey, come on home. You're crazy? You you think you're the You think you're the Savior? Come on home. Come on home. We need to take care of you. We need to get you a mental assessment. You know, if you will. But then after Jesus died and rose again, his old brother, now how many of you are going to claim your brother is the Savior of the world? It's going to take somebody rising from the grave for you to say that, right? That's right, you know. And he might be of the devil, but I don't know if he's of Jesus. I don't know him or her, you know. But yet, here it is, he says, he appears to James, and James has changed. James is, now he's a preacher. We got an epistle in the Bible written by James, his brother. So, I mean, it's a big deal. And he says, he appears to James. And he goes on to say, all the apostles. It says, then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he is seen by me, as by one born out of due time. And, of course, this is Paul writing this to the church at Corinth. And he was Saul at the time. Christ appeared to him on the road. Changed his life forever. He went into the town. To the street called Straight. Met up with, with uh, the man of God. And the man of God told him what he going to do. And he was scared to death too. He had to talk to God about it too. Lord, I don't know. This dude's going to come in here. He's, he's, just, he's just pulling my chain. You know what I mean? He's going to try to kill me. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Be patient. Understand, I've got him. He's mine now. He's mine now. And he's going to do great things for the kingdom. Receive him. Take care of him. But he says he is born out of due time because he wasn't one of those that saw him while he walked the earth. Paul saw him as he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul is saying who he is. And it's by the grace of God, if you look there in the latter part of verse 9 and then into verse 10. It is by the grace of God that Paul is who he is. He says, I am who I am. God's grace made Paul who and what he is or what he was. And this is the same for you and I. God's grace makes us who we are. We don't make us who we are. God's grace makes us who we are. Who we were doesn't matter anymore once you've experienced the grace of God. Yes, you may have to live with some of the the reputations and and you're just going to have to prove people wrong. I mean, that's what he had to do, right? Paul had to prove people wrong. And then he had to pray and ask God to to change their hearts toward him. And you may be somebody like that. You You might have to say, Lord, change their hearts toward me. Change their hearts toward me. God's changed my heart, and he's changing my heart toward them. Lord, change their hearts toward me. Change their hearts toward me. God's grace wasn't in vain, he says. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, this is not a brag. He's just saying, since God's grace changed me, I got after it. I got after it. I wanted to serve the Lord. His grace toward me was not in vain. And I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He's saying, look, it wasn't really me that was doing the work. It was the grace of God in me doing the work. And that's like I've talked to you about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit resides resides within you. And if you will submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, confess your sins, repent of those sins, then the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be evident from you. And he's saying this is what this is. The grace of God. It's by God's grace that you've received the Holy Spirit. It's by God's grace that we live by the Spirit. It's by God's grace that fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit. It's all by the grace of God. And he says it is by the grace of God. Paul calls to apostleship. If you, if you want to see Paul's call to apostleship, you can look over to Galatians 1, 11 through 24. And I, I just want you to understand this. No work saves God's grace saves. For it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about works. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't do it. Paul of all people could tell you that. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he was all these things. And if there was a way to work it toward heaven, Paul, Saul would have made it prior to becoming Saul Paul. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he would have done it. He would have been able to make it. But the fact is, works don't get you there. Works don't get you there. Christ gets you there. And then you serving the Lord, you working for Him helps to bring others there. Work has its place, but not before salvation, but a lot after it. Work has its place, not before salvation, but after it. All the work that needed to be done was done in Christ Jesus, and He said it was finished. So I ain't worried about what's done, what needs to be done before salvation. I just need to be worried about what I do with my salvation and from it. And you do too. <laughs> we all do. Lastly, preach it. Verse 11 Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Who shares or preaches doesn't matter as long as one does share or preach it. When I say preach it, I I, I keep emphasizing this because when we think preach, we think preacher. And when we think preacher, we think pulpit. And when we think pulpit, we think three points in a poem. And we think go home and eat a casserole. That's what we think. But this is what I'm telling you right now. When I say preach it, I'm talking about tell somebody. You've got a story to tell. You've got a testimony if you've been changed by the grace of God. That's what you are to herald. You are to tell about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the saving that God brings about into an individual's life when they believe by faith, which is opportunity, by grace, That is how it comes. That is the beauty of it. We share. We've got to share. He says it doesn't matter whether it was I or they. And of course, he talks back. You go back into it. It says, you know, uh, Paul and Apollos, they one preached, one watered. It doesn't matter. All it matters is, is this. Who were you saved by and are you saved? And who are you preaching? Who are you preaching? Something I wrote over here in my notes. Don't get caught up in who the preacher is. Get caught up in who the preacher preaches. Don't get caught up in who the preacher is. Get caught up in who, capital W, the preacher preaches. We need to be preaching Christ and Christ crucified. I'm not up here preaching me. I'm not preaching new prospect. I'm not preaching anybody else. I preach Jesus. Jesus is the way you're saved. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to the Father except through me. To get to the Father, you got to go through Him. To get to Him, you got to receive the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. That's how it works. I pray today that you have received. How do people receive? When we think about this question, when we think about this, have you heard, received, and been saved? This is the decision that's got to be made today. But I make known to you that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. That's something Paul said. I'm telling you this. This gospel that I preach to you is not according to man. It's by the word of God. I've quoted so much scripture today. Why is that? Because it's the word of God. It is Jesus Christ that saves through the preaching of the word of God. That's how people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how cool we may be. It doesn't matter how up on culture we may be. It doesn't matter any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter what you're dressed like. It doesn't matter what your past was like. What matters is, is Jesus died for you and you can have salvation when you place your faith in Him and be changed for eternity. And then when you're changed for eternity, you'll live for an eternity, which means somebody's eternity can be changed through your life. So how are you going to live once you've received him? How are you going to live once you received him? Because if it was all about heaven, once we received Christ, he would call us on up, wouldn't he? If it was all about heaven. But it's not, it's about him. It's about making him known and making disciples of all nations. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that you will receive this gospel you will receive this good news there's no greater good news than the news that Jesus Christ stepped off his throne obeyed his father came to this earth lived a life without sin died in our place on the cross for our sins he rose again and he's coming again there's no greater there's no greater news